I'm here with James Toner, who's come down from Scotland. Been reading his books. We've got definitely, maybe, probably not about his Indian prison experience. And if you think, if you've watched any of these Banged Up Abroad episodes, Indian prisons are no joke, as you're about to find out in this podcast. His other book, Don't Believe the Truth, India, is the follow-up. Links to James' books, available worldwide on Amazon, will be in the description box below this video. We've got Wildman, everyone saying, let's get Wildman doing more co-interviews. And um, we're filming three or four this week. So, James, thanks for coming all the way down from Scotland. And, you know, I've seen your stuff on James English. How was it that you came to end up in this Indian prison? Then you got a, did you have a long history of drug, drug use looking at your book here? Uh, what, what happened was um, I was brought up in a house in the state in Glasgow, a scheme. Um, we call them schemes in Glasgow. Um, and maybe about 19, 20, I got involved in selling drugs. Um, and that just kind of snowballed and um, started selling a small bit of hash. And, and then the late 80s, <clears throat> the late 80s, early 90s was ecstasy. Um, so I was up and down to England and across to Europe and my, my brother was putting parties on and we were supplying the playing the pills at the parties. So you've jumped quite a bit there then. How did you just fall into selling drugs like that first? Um, so aye, so what happened was, my brother was quite a smart boy. He was five years younger than me. I was the daft one at the place. <laughs> um, and so he would have been 16, and he suggested that we put 100 quid each in and we bought a bit of dope. Um, and that would have been 1987. And that's what we done. We, we we bought a bat of dope, um, an ounce of dope, hard hash, Moroccan, um, and we turned it into two ounces of dope, and then turned it into four ounces, the quarter pound. Um, before everything, everybody started talking grams and kilos. Yeah. So it was a quarter pound, um, but I, I couldn't ever see. I was never in it for the long game. I always wanted the profit when the profit was there. Um, and me and him fell out. Um, we, we fell out all the time. Um, and when that happened, I started working for other people, selling bits of dope for other people, or when people start to trust you, send you to drop things off to people and pick bags up and stuff like that. So that's how it all started for me. Um, the, the late 80s, um, and then it all, it all went... Well, it went a bit crazy. When you started, did you um, do cash on delivery or did you actually front people? Um, no, people were getting fronted. So when we started, we had we, we, we had our own money. Yeah. Um, like I say, it was only a small bit. But then as as more people are are, are starting to sell the hash, because at that point it was, you know, no, no everybody was selling dope at the yeah. time. As more people started to sell it, then you were having to front people. There was people who came and paid cash. Yeah, um, it's actually to get the business, isn't it? Yeah, really, to, to get in the business, you were you were fronting people. Was uh, it all friendly at this level? Was there it, not was, any it was. Risk it was. Danger? It was all friendly, you know. The um, I was rubbish at it. You know, I was rubbish at selling drugs. It'll be eighths and quarters, won't it, mainly? That's exactly what it was. It was so uh, uh, an eighth 
Um, was Probably there, 15, aye, so quarter, 25, so I need, 30. There was actually a 16th up there as well, and they called that a deal. Oh, yeah. So, a teen, we call it. Aye, but I, I remember back in the 80s, so there's 28 grams in an ounce, right? Yeah. So that's seven quarters in an ounce. Um, but I remember at the time, there was these ounces were five quarter ounces. So there was like five and a half grams in a quarter. So you weren't even getting a quarter when you were... If you didn't pay for it up front, you were yeah. getting... There's what you got. Um, you know, and everybody was into Bob Marley and all that. And it was all... It was, it was all pretty friendly, you know. There was, so you were getting five and a half instead of seven. Mm-hmm. So no one tried to rip you off at this stage? <clears throat> no, a rip-off, rip-off. No, there was people who couldn't pay. Um, I think that's just the nature of the thing, isn't it? There's, yeah. There's, and what's your consumption like in the early years? Um, so in the early early years, I was um, I, I smoked a lot of dope. That was that was probably happening. Um, I liked the odd trip, um, a, a wee bit of speed. But then probably nineteen eighty eight, somebody gave me my first pill, and that was it. You know that was. <laughs> and um, all that goes. <laughs> and I've watched I watched your TED talk. Um, and I, and I was like, ah, I get that. I totally get that. But mine was. It was near a rave and it was in a pub and there was maybe five years had had pills and everybody else in the pub <laughs> didn't have a clue, you know what I mean? The music wasn't right. Um, you, were, you were coming out your wee tr- trance and you were sitting with strangers and goodness knows what you'd been <laughs> saying to them and, you know, and, and nobody was on the same wavelength. Um, and then it all just kind of progressed up in Scotland as well. Now, Scotland was, I don't know, a year or two behind England. Um, yeah. People were coming down, down to England and and coming back up the road, and they were twenty pound each at the time. You know what I mean? They were they were, but they were well worth the twenty pound at the time. So, um, and that was it. That was the next few years were fantastic. <laughs> and did you guys start going to the rave and stuff? We did. I we, we my brother, like I say, he was he was younger than me, but he was into enemy and he was into into loads of different stuff, and he knew what was happening down here. Um, so there, there was some small parties starting to happen and he started putting parties on um, and then there was connections down in London and um, and then there was other people were putting putting bigger parties on I was in a relationship at the time and I was I was pretty much couldn't get going out and partying as much as what I wanted and I was really jealous of them you know, and I, I would go on the Sunday and they would all be they would all be hanging and I would be like that. Um, <laughs> so your younger brother was putting parties on, what kind of DJs was he getting? Um, at the time it was probably just local DJs, but um, it was Detroit Techno was the first kind of... Juan Atkins. Juan Atkins and yeah. um, Derek May. Um, Derek May. Stuff like that, you know, and it's, I can still listen to it today, you know, yeah. I, I bought it on yeah. Apple Music yeah. today when I'm in the gym, I'm like that, on. We were going a lot of parties with Sasha... Carl Cox, John Dickweed, Evolution. Carl Cox as well. We went, I remember going to see him in the Barrowland in Glasgow. Um, but there was a club in Edinburgh that they all used to go to every every noon again. I would go to this club, and it was called Pure, and it was in a it was in a place called the Venue in Calton Hill in Edinburgh. Um, and the two DJs were called Twitch and Brainstorm, who are now Optimo, and they're still, you know, I'm. I'm 54, them guys are older than me, yeah. and they're still doing the same thing. Um, but they were bringing in Carol Cox, and they were bringing in Derek May, and Kevin Carter, and 
you know, and it was all it was all the proper Detroit um, stuff. That, that that's what I was into. But my brother, some of his parties were were were, were blinding. Um, so that's that's what we've done. So is your level of dealing escalating? In this country. Yes, um, at that point it, it definitely was. Um, probably the so any parties that he put on, uh, me and one of my friends, we'd be the ones who were selling the pills at the parties, um, and it was pretty much a closed shop. You know what I mean? If anybody else was allowed to sell, you know, that's what you're putting the party on. For, exactly. Did you have your own security as well? Like, I, um, you know, and it was it was pretty. I speak about it in the first book. The where there was a block of flats, and they were they were in the process of knocking these a multi-story. They were in the process of knocking them down, and um, he had a rave in in the community hall at the bottom of the flats, egg boxes up as soundproof. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the security, so there's a, there's a smoke machine. There was a guy having a fit, um, who's my friend to this day. Um, a guy was having a seizure. There was a guy having a seizure. Because of the strobes. Because oh, of the strobes, aye. And it, it, no, that was him finding out he was epileptic yeah. this wow. as well, aye. Um, nobody knew what he did about it because it wasn't like nobody had any medical training. Um, and there was a the security was walking about with a baseball bat and a big Rottweiler. <laughs> and the Rottweiler was on the loose, man. And it was, you know, looking back, it was pretty surreal. Um, but at, at that point, um, there was there was never any trouble, you know. What I mean, there was never any. No. Um, there was, I suppose, a kind of respect thing going on as well, you know. There was no. The first rave we show went to they were um, very similar, really. But the guys would be outside and they'd have like a, and as the bag, two big lads, bald, two big dogs, and then as the bag, and you'd put your tenner in the bag right. and you'd go in. And when the police come, you just have to run because just let the dogs off. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, class. Uh, and that's what ended up happening. We, the first party was fine, and then they had another one in the same place. And there was there was buses coming for all the clubs in in Glasgow. No, they were here. That's a good party on up there. Yeah. Um, and then the the fact that these buses and taxis were pulling up at this more or less empty block of flats. Um. And I remember because I was selling the juice at this party, you know, the, the soft drinks. Um, so when the police came, I had all this, like, probably hundreds of pounds of change, you know what I mean? Um, and whose party is it? I don't know whose party is, you know. Because um, we got the keys of the community room after some wee woman who was trusting us to, to look out for the place. The profit on just selling the water and juice and the good toys and that, you know what I mean? Aye. I mean, I've heard now in IB for it's like twenty pound a bottle of water. My goodness, some of the raves. Yeah, Ridiculous. some of those clubs. Yeah, twenty euros. It's crazy, isn't it? Aye. For a bottle of water. Keep out. So, what pills were you getting back then? Was it the white doves? The white doves were there. Snowballs. Um, there was some of the ones that I really liked were um, rhubarb and custard capsules. Oh, I remember them. Dennis the Menace capsules. Yeah, Dennis the Menace capsules. capsules. They, they were... looked like Emoxil, didn't they? Ah, they that's exactly had... what they looked yeah. like, aye. They were, they were, um... They're the first ones I'd ripped off then oh. when they come out, because what well, we <laughs> do, get a bit of speed and uh, yeah. half an acid and MBS, and we'd fucking just put it in the capsules, sell it as an E. Aye. Well, that's... Aye, so that was... Um... 
the snowballs were, I remember them when they arrived, they had a couple of big raves down in Ayrshire, and big ones in big tents, um, and I took my first snowball down there, and I was driving, you know, because that was the thing, you know, you, you, you took your pills and then people jumped into their cars to go to wherever they were going after. Yeah, you put your music in. Oh, a total disgrace, man, but that was... <laughs> Eight to eight state radio station. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a post. So how did that make you feel in your first ease? What was that so good about it? Um, I, I kind of, I, I was thinking your description of your first, um, your first pill. I, I can't even remember mine exactly the way it was, but I remember just this euphoric feeling. Um, you no, know, and I remember all the, because I, I was never comfortable. Living the life of selling drugs. Yeah. Um. I was always on edge, you know, and that left me totally, you know, and um, and I, I can remember, you know, just I want more than that. I wanted it to to last forever, and I probably, I think I've heard it said a hundred times. You no, know, I wish this feeling would last forever. Um. So I that was the. These were definitely the one that got me, you know. That that the. the, the there were a better class of ecstasy back then as well, weren't Aye. they? You'd pay twenty twenty five pound for your pill, like, but I mean, it'd last. You know what I mean? Aye. But you'd have to work on it too. Like you said, the first one you had in a pub and probably listening to pub music. It, you, if anything, you got a sledge. Aye. Because you're not going to really come up on it. You have to dance your pill, aye, don't you? Aye. I was a smiler hugger dancer, definitely. Because before racing, I wouldn't really dance, but once I got on E, just couldn't stop. Well, I was the same. I was a. I was a shuffler, you know what I mean? I just, well, it hides all your inhibitions. You, just, you, you don't have no fear, do you? You don't like. Do you want to demonstrate? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I danced the way I walked to the toilet there. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when your hips are. Got, got the old list. Uh, yeah. Head bobbing, arms in the air. <laughs> I was just a head rocker. Uh, <laughs> Except for that one time in the crowbar, like, yellow construction hat night. Oh, yes. <laughs> In the gay bar. Some proper gyrations going on there. <laughs> bump and grind. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting bumped and grinded off. <laughs> it was yellow construction hat night at this gay bar we went. So I was like, I was like daring people. It was just getting a hat on and jump up there. And while I was like, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it, yeah. Free pill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what you've done for a free <laughs> So, so the happy early years then. How long did they last? Um, oh, they were a, they were a few years, definitely. They were probably, I would say, eighty nine. Um, I think my first pull would have been eighty eight. Um, so eighty eight, eighty nine, nineteen ninety was a big year in in Scotland for. For that stuff, um, ninety one, ninety two, he was still having good parties, um, and then you know, and I can remember when it all just went no very nice for me, and in nineteen ninety three when um, people started you know selling gear, you know, yeah, started selling cotton, and it all it all went you know, moody. It went dead moody, you know, and I can remember. Guys who had sold a hundred pills to, or guys who had been cuddling and dancing with for years previous, and as soon as I started taking that stuff, you know, I, I was, I, I was getting psychosis very, very early, um, 
very early in my my cocaine using yeah. um, years. What you know, when you say psychosis? What are we see, actually experiencing? Seeing and hearing. Um, paranoia. You know, I, well, paranoia is a thing that you're thinking, ain't you? you know, but I was, and I speak about. It, I'm in recovery today, you know, and, and I, when I speak about the, the psychosis, right from an early, early, early start, I was seeing people speaking about me, um, people who weren't even speaking to one another when they passed one another. I knew they were speaking about me. I knew there were police for an early... I could hear them mentioning my name. Was this uh, right away or did you have a good period on coke I first? didn't have a good period. At, straight you know, to psychosis? Pretty much straight to psychosis. Were you doing so much you weren't getting any sleep? Um, aye, sleep was near... You know, the, the kind of, when I first started taking coke, um, I wasn't taking millions of it, but I wasn't getting much sleep because of the party thing that was happening, you know? And, yeah. And my... My, my my thing to bring me back down. I, I drank a lot, you know. So I, I loved I loved drinking at the tail end of the, of the you know have a party, go on a Friday or a Saturday. By the time I'd kind of stopped taking the drugs on the Sunday evening, it was just drink 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 into oblivion. Um, but the, the so there's different effects, isn't there, when you mix everything up? I definitely, I I absolutely. You know, and add that to whatever, because all, all our chemical makeups are different as well, you know, and, and that's why some people can do that. Yeah, um, yeah. And no get paranoid. Paranoid. No get any psychosis at all. Um, and then other people like me, um, you know, I was, I was never, ever able to. You no, know, I, can, I can remember way back in the, in the early, probably kind of the mid-90s, um, you know, and I, and I knew I was like, this is all changing. I don't like this. People who are trusted, um, people who I'd had in my flat, people who I considered friends. Um, I, I, I knew they were planning things, and and it was it was worse than paranoia. You know what I mean? It was. Well, seeing, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but you find that you, you say that you're paranoid, but I also find that it's you're being cautious too. When people go in changing from taking the pills and going to the coke and all that. It does get more moodier, and people do change. You know what I mean? <clears throat> you're astute to that. You're aware of that. Aye. And the lack of sleep. That's the only time I'd be, I'd be psychotic. Is like the lack of sleep, really. Aye. I'd, I'd be up for five or six days on speed, and then, like, you just... I mean, you do hear voices, you do see things, and the more you think about it, it could, I could be in a room with two people, and they couldn't... They could, not saying anything, but talking about me, the plotting to do summer. That's exactly the way it was for me. Yeah. And did you act on any of that? No. My best thinking at the time, Sean, would probably have been to have another line, in the hope that um, I would feel better when I when I had the other line. You know what I mean? So I never, ever, never, I was never kind of violent. Towards anything like you know what I mean. I, I never, acted upon it, and then it makes you look even worse. Then you uh, know what I mean. We try and dose Wildman with Xanax to get him to come down from his binge. Uh, you didn't have any access to Valium or Xanax. Or no, at that time I was not. Like I said, at that time, so in Scotland at that time, it was Tamazepam. Yeah, the um, eggs. So they were yellow eggs, you know, and yeah. and people were taking the yellow eggs, taking a come to. But the the company that I kept and the group that I that I Partied with, um, we didn't really, you know what I mean? Because a lot of the yellow egg stuff was people were gone, 
going out, taking pills, um, taking your legs, drinking, then there would be violence or the odd one would go and steal a car and crash into another six cars and um, stuff like that. So there was always a, um, I don't want to say dirty element to it, but there was always something that, that we were never never into. Um, well, people started cutting these as well, didn't they? They started putting smacking them. No. Okay, I mean. Yeah. I can remember one of the, what a rave and the, the ease that had been, they'd been distributed and that we were selling as well. Um, I don't think we're who we, we normally got go them in big batches um, and I think we couldn't get them somebody else got us a few hundred and, and I was selling them and you know and people were just you know because I've saw ketamine and the effects and I took ketamine yeah. um, and at that point I didn't know what it was and what it done um, you know tranquilises horses so um, it's yeah. nice in the right place uh, ketamine's good when in the house on your own <laughs> you know what I mean? Away from everyone. Aye. It's not good when you're in a club and you're yeah. already feeling a bit that like. Was, that was where they were doing, but. How did it make you feel the first time you took Cat? Um, the first time I actually took Cat and knew I was taking Cat and took it because it was Cat was was nearby near that time in my life. Because um, it was never readily available. My, my first experience with, with Cat, I mean, was in India. Okay. Um, and it was later on in my. Um, probably the year before I got arrested in India. Did you go into a K-hole or did you enjoy it? Totally, right in there. I had been to the Taj Mahal previous to it and I was sure, <laughs> I was sure that I was in this marble block and they had built the Taj Mahal around or around about me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I was in, I was in the, the very centre because it's geometrically Perfect, didn't yeah. it, Taj Mahal? Well, it must be a trip alone just being in Taj Mahal, though, you know what I mean? <laughs> Even on a normal head, it must be amazing. No, I was on a normal head in the Taj Mahal. This was, oh, this right. was weeks later. Yeah. But the the fact that I'd, 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 I'd been totally in awe of the Taj Mahal as a building, um, and there's a nice wee story to the Taj Mahal. But then what happened was is we were, <clears throat> you know, you could buy it with the chemist. In India, so I was buying it. Um, you could buy it in a liquid and put it onto a onto a plate and turn it into the cook powder. It. I cook it into a powder. Um, so it was pretty pure as well. You know what I mean? It yeah. hadn't been. It wasn't mixed with anything. Um, and that was my first experience. Yet horrible, horrible stuff to to actually when it goes down the back of your throat. But um, aye. <laughs> we used to mix it with Xanax, didn't we? Yeah, we, they called us the Zek tribe, the media, because um, we were known for mixing Xanax, XC and ketamine all together. Because then you've got the edge taken off the ketamine with the Xanax and the ecstasy, so it doesn't go into that dark realm. You're pretty much like high, but you're also having a little bit of a hallucination effect right. from the ketamine with a smile on your face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We'd always get the yellow ketamine, because it started off, there was like three lots, it was like... Ketamine, and there was ketafet, wasn't there? All the Mexican stuff. And the ketajet. And you'd go, like, say, you'd go to the pharmacy and buy it. Aye. But, I mean, some of it was just, like... The yellow one was good stuff, but the, the, the ketaset one was just, like... Literally like an elephant tranquilizer. And it was just... Poof, it just knocked you completely out. You'd be in a K-hole instantly. 
Oh yeah, we're in a few of those. Right. So we've, we've jumped ahead a bit here then. So what is happening in the intervening years between it's starting to get into coke and the darkness before you go to India? Was anything notable that happened in so, those years? During the, probably the kind of, when, when the, the dance scene finished for me, probably about 1993. Um, and I, I was I was drinking more. Um Sniffing loads of coke. Um, I was then working working with some people, and I was getting sent up and down to London to bring bags back, and um, so I'd, I'd loads of cash. Um, probably about nineteen ninety five, somebody gave me my first, and I'm not blaming whoever it was, but yeah. um, somebody gave me my first shot of a pipe, and from ninety five until. Um, probably '99. Um, I was on and off the pipe. So you saw him about crack. Aye. And how did crack make you feel the first time you did that? Um, so crack was just you know, it was like nothing, nothing I'd ever experienced before in my life. You know the foul. Um, so I I didn't know that, and I, I believe the day that anything I've ever took was filling a wee void that was in me. Yeah. You know I I wasn't I wasn't taking it because I really enjoyed it or. It was filling a void in me that you know I, I identify as being an addict. Um, my first thing me a crack was just took my breath away. I went into a tunnel. The bells were ringing. Um, it was you know, it was great. I, lo- I loved it. And then immediately I'm thinking they're all talking about me. Um, they're straight away. They're all getting mad on their pipe. Then I go on my pipe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. No, I, I fucking when I'd calmed down, I, I wanted, I wanted Mary, you know, I, I wanted, um, I wanted Mary, and I, I didn't become a crack addict straight away, you know. What I mean, that was not You didn't become a carpet picker, what you say, like, oh, a I'd, little white like, thing on the carpet. Later on in my, my, <laughs> my, my, my putting my, fucking oh, putting uh, bone fluff and everything on a fucking pipe, uh, thinking like, no, crack. No, that's not because it all looks like it, then. Yeah, it does, doesn't um, it? Yeah. So for. Fi- no, then I, I, I would take a bit and um, I, I would be with certain people and they would be doing it and, and then I would get involved. Um, and then me and another boy who I worked with together, um, me and him ended up, we, we, you know, we were taking quite a lot of it. Has your social circle changed now? Is this your old friends have graduated to crack and hard drugs? Um, at that point there was... So I think at the time in the mid-90s was, there, was, there was loads of people who... To the outside world, well, wouldn't have known they were into the crack. Mm-hmm. They would maybe, on the odd occasion, a wee special event, you know, there would be nobody who would be going to do it, going to do it again. Um, but it, as the 90s progressed, and my fear of getting caught doing what I was doing in terms of um, bringing stuff back for London or selling drugs in Glasgow... Um, I was always running away from myself, and the crack was how I done it mm-hmm. for a, for a few years. And it was the last few years of the nineties were horrendous for me, um, absolutely horrendous. Um, what were you running away from? Myself. Um, have you have you gone inside yourself and tried to figure that out? I have. I um, you know I th- I think that the, the kind of. I, a trauma I find in my dad dying when I was a, a young boy affected me a lot more than I would have thought, you know what I mean? How old were you? I was 10. 10. So I got up when I was 10 
We stayed in South Africa and he was lying on the bathroom floor. Um, two weeks later, we're back in Glasgow. So we'd went for living in South Africa, a good life in terms of swimming pools and the sun shining and, um, you know, a, a, a decent, a good memories here. I'd be uh, on crack myself <laughs> if, it, if it had come from a nice place like that to go to live uh, back, back to Glasgow. That was a, so I, I didn't, my mum, um, God love her, um, she doesn't ever talk about my dad or anything like no. that. So it was until later years that I was saying to her, how long did it take us to come back? Two years, um, I'm thinking. So I, I was kind of, I'd been, that was a big massive thing in my life because in 1975 when that happened, Nobody explained to a young person um, death. Nobody sat you down and says, here's what's going to harm. Um, you know, I remember being told, you're the man of the house now. Um, act like the man of the house. And um, and I found out when I started drinking when I was 15 or 16 that I was able to put all these, squash all these feelings. Mm-hmm. Um so in, in the house was there just you and your little brother? Or do you have any other siblings? No, just me and him and my mum. Oh, and you were told to be the man of the house at ten years old. Aye, um, it's a lot of pressure, think, isn't it? I, I think that was a common thing, you know. I don't. I think that's, um, you know, you were west of Scotland. I don't know what like it is and where you come from, but it's a working class thing as well, isn't it? Mm. Especially at that point um, in nineteen seventy five, where you know boys don't cry. Um, you know, you're. you're Man up, you're the man of the house now. Um, no therapy, start, anything like n- that. None of that, and I started to believe it, you know, I started to believe I'm the man of the house. I gave my mum a terrible time when I was growing up, you know, a terrible, terrible time. Because um, you were acting up because of the trauma. Right, so there's there's a fact to that, and then as I got older, I'm quite sure that I knew I was giving her a terrible time. So I would have been suppressing all that, Shame and the guilt I'm and, feeling the, guilt and the remorse stuff that comes for that as well. Yeah. Um and and that's winding it forward to the nineties and I'm on the pipe and but I'm still trusted to carry big bags of money to people. Um and I'm talking you no know, serious amounts of money. Um are these, trust, are these heavy people that you don't want to rip off? Um Oh absolutely I. Um no people close to me as well. But there's always a connection if you're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds, aren't there? Yeah. Um, trusted to to go and pick up parcels with 100 kilo of hash or 10 kilo of coke or hundreds of thousands of pills. And, um, you must have been active, mate, then, because normally you, you wouldn't trust someone who smokes crack to so go this, and do this, that, would you? This was what I, what I used to do. Me and, the, me and the guy who was my mate, we were trusted to... Lift the phone, bring us this, look after that, um, go and get that. Um, so come dark when the, the shop shut, if you like. It's your time to was let your your type of thing we done, right? So see if we, if 8 o'clock, 34, 5, 6 in the morning, we'd be on the pipe. I would go down the road, I would be taking painkillers or anything yeah. to try and dull the thing maybe at this point. Um anything to get that four or five hours sleep so as I walk back up and I'm no craving a pipe of crack you know what I mean because I know that I've got stuff that I have to do that day so for the next six or seven hours I'm there in case I'm required to 
to pick something up, to drop something off, to, um, you know, and and I can, and I believe the subconscious mind is an amazing thing as well, but I can remember when my brother, who kind of worked with, caught me as well, you know what I mean, because I'd managed to hide it to, for him for, because he knew what I was like with the, with the, he used to say, I would let you watch all my money, but I wouldn't let you watch a gram of my coke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I wouldn't have spent any of his money, but I would have snorted his coke. Um, and it would get into the, the, the tail end of the nineties. He was in Spain. He'd left his phone with me. He'd left his car keys with me. Um, nineteen ninety nine. This was, and one of my friends was getting married. We were com- we were coming to um, Blackpool for a stag ah, right. weekend. <clears throat> We were leaving on the Saturday morning. On the Friday night, I had, I'd washed some some coke up and smoked it, but I'd left the bicarb, I'd left the spoon, I'd left everything lying out in my kitchen, beside his phone and his keys. When he came back from Spain, he got my spare key from my mum, went into my flat and found all this, um, and that was his first kind of idea that uh, the the kind of double. It wasn't even a double life because I was the double life was the stuff I was doing, you know. What yeah, I mean? it was a, yeah. It was a double life with a bit added on to it. You could hardly say you make cakes. No, no, that's right. <laughs> and so I'm then driven by the fear because I'm in Blackpool. I'm drinking for a few days down there. Everybody was coming back on the Monday. I decided I wasn't coming back on the Monday. Then they came back the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I've come back up the road, and he was sitting waiting on me at Glasgow Central Station. Um, so it's, and you might have experienced this as well, because although he was my young brother, he was the the sensible one at the yeah. two years. And then it was, I was put into lockdown. Anybody who sold coke in the in the scheme was told, don't give him any of that stuff, um, because I'll fall out with you, he'll no pay you, etc, etc. So I was then, in the dark of night, jumping out of windies to go and say to boys, well, you know, I'm here, you better give me it, and just yeah. all crap stuff, you know. Um, and and that's the that that's the way it went, and I managed to stop taking it. Um, I, I managed to stop taking it, because there's no, it's all a psychological thing with crack, you know, there's no, no physical withdrawals or anything. No. I hear people saying, oh, I was drawn off a coke, or I was, you, you don't actually do that, it's a psychological thing. So if you can, if you can sort that up, so I was able to stop it for a time, um, and then as the the noughties came, two thousand and one, um, I stopped drinking and that as well, and I and I tidied my life up. You know, I I kind of left that life behind. Just going back a bit, then you're on these intense missions, large amounts of cash, large amounts of drugs. You've got this enhanced paranoia. How did you reconcile that while you were on a mission? Oh, it, well, this was the thing, right? So I used to um, either get a train or a bus or fly down and get a train um, or a bus back. And my best thinking was, I can't wait to get over the border because if I'm getting arrested, I want to get arrested in Scotland. Because <laughs> 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 well, I don't want arrested in England. You know? um, was my best thing. I can remember one time um, when I got phoned and asked, "Would I could I get um, could I get some hill walking clothes on very quickly?" 
um, we need you to do a wee job for us. So I've got the boots and the 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 whole walking jacket and that one, and and I went and I picked up a rucksack and the rucksack had three hundred and fifty grand in the rucksack, and I was took to the train station, put on a train, I told somebody would meet me at Euston, um, and I know, so but. I was in one of the, at the time, I don't think you can do it anymore, but you go up to the wee steward on the train and you give him 50 quid and he'll give you a wee compartment because no, nobody, nobody was. So I had this wee, wee bed and all that in the, on the sleeper in the train, but I've got my stuff, so I'm sniffing. I'm, I'm starting to get that, that I know, I know they're outside the corridor, yeah. just waiting to come in. Um I'm phoning ahead to London because I know a couple of boys that are working, um, straight guys working on the railway, doing their working. Um, I'm coming into Euston, meet me at Euston. The thought entered my head on that particular, could I get away with stealing this bag? You know what I mean? Could I get away with it? Um, I couldn't have got away with it, you know what I mean? Um, but that was it. I met the guy. The guy met me at the train station. A Scottish guy, I, I knew the guy that was meeting me. And I just gave him the bag. I went one way, he went the other way. I went and met the guys who worked in here. Um, they took me to an early morning place that sold drink. And that was it, back back on the party again, you know. And, um, you made the right move, otherwise you wouldn't be here today, would you speak? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> what was the craziest thing you ever did through paranoia? Um, I'd... I'd Again, it's it's winding forward to, um, so the psychosis thing. I would whether it would be in Glasgow. I always thought the police were coming to get me, whether I was actively doing something or whether they weren't. Mm. Whether I wasn't, um, and I was always, you know, because I don't know what you call it down here, but there's a thing where you're on the stuff. You're in the in the flat yourself. You you know they're outside. They're in the garden. So yeah. you you go to the window and you look. You get us, yeah. yeah right? So, <laughs> so you, you go to the window and you, you're like that, no, and they're not there. They've moved. They must be at the other window. So you go into the other window. And, so in this flat, I stayed in it at seven or eight. It was a big corner, getting bottom flat garden, and it had about seven or eight windows. So I'm, I'm moving from window to window, right? And it starts off at ten o'clock at night. By six o'clock in the morning. I'd be looking under the door where the gap is there. <laughs> if it gets a bit dark there, or to ah, see a shadow. That's <laughs> the back comes out. The, the, but I, was, I was boiling kettles, <laughs> had a big knife, and I can remember seeing them in the bushes, so thinking, fuck it, they're coming anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm going. So I went out. Shouting at them. Come on, oh, then, come on. Come on, if you're coming, come. No, I've done I'm, that to cactuses. I, I'm, I'm, I've done it in, in the jungle in India as well. So I'm shouting, come on, I know you're there. Thinking, I'll go and drive down. So yeah, I'm talking like 100 yards, you know, get in my car, drive down. The bush that I know they're in, by the time you get to the bush. It's a bush. It's a bush. <laughs> you're like, they're flying there. You Fast know I mean? bastards, aren't they? Drive back round. As soon as you park the car again, they're back in the fucking bush, man. You're like that. And <laughs> get in the close and then just pop your head back out because you know they're going to be running up the path to come and get you. Um, I, I would leave, down. I would put traps. Um, traps? What kind of traps? I would, I would be, 
I would have broken glass, tacks, um, anything that that would make a noise. You know what I mean? Um, but also that you know, you you would find I would find myself in the toilet with the stuff. Um, I would have wrote a text out to send to my mate to say that's him that's here. Yeah. So the text is there, ready to send, to press send. <laughs> and you've spent five hours in the toilet just waiting to flush the stuff down the toilet. Sorry, um, just like... Aye. Aye, you know. And that flat I was in, it had three... Twelve, twelve houses in the, in the close, we call it up there. Um, so, you know, you, if you're starting at ten o'clock at night, people are starting to move about come the morning and... No, and that makes it worse because yeah. you hear the postman, you hear the guy upstairs going to his work, you hear the woman going to her work, and then and then the wains have got to school. Um, you know when it when it dragged on, so um, you know that was and that was regular. That was and I would do that on the Tuesday night, and knowing fine well that's what was going to happen on the Wednesday. I couldn't stop myself from doing it again. You know it was. Did you feel that you needed to get weapons at any point to defend yourself against the enemies? All the time, I was weapons. Big knives, bats, um, or dotted all the place. Um, I go to bed with a knife, boil a ke- <laughs> continually boiling a kettle. Um, ridiculous. <laughs> I'd smash so many crack pipes, paranoid. Even ones where I had one where it I'd had it for like three months, and it was like what I call chocolate crack. If it had pushed it, it scraped it. It aye. comes out all like brownish, but aye. it's. Like you get a really good hit oh, off aye, it, you I've know heard, what I mean? That, but I decided with the crack, it's just that your first big hit is your only hit. Aye. You're just chasing that. So I'd just do one really big hit, and I'd have like 10 cans of special brew and get me out there. <laughs> <laughs> 10 cans of special brew would kill me anyway. <laughs> so, what made you want to leave the country? So what happened was, in, in 2001, I stopped drinking. Um, when I stopped drinking, I, I, I was totally clean. I wasn't taking any drugs. Um, uh, I went back to college and done uh, an introduction to counselling course, and then I done a certificate in counselling skills. And then I got a job in, um, and this would seem dead ironic to anybody watching this who doesn't know me, but I got a job, first of all, in residential childcare. Mm-hmm. with Glasgow Social Work Department and then I got another job um, with the Social Work Department and the Addiction Services so I was the young person's addiction worker Well who better to do it, you've been through it Aye, absolutely, you know and at one point that dawned on me, you know you've been you've been given a job here to try and stop these young guys um, turning out like you um, and that was great, that was so by 2001 I was clean, 2002 I had a job in social work, um, started 2003 I had my dream job working in addiction because that's what I'd set out to do. Yeah, um, well that keeps you off as well doesn't it? Aye, aye, well aye, it, 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 it did all that as well, um, I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, um, I'm identifying as being an alcoholic. Um, and then in 2004, my brother was murdered and my full life... What? My full life collapsed. It will do. Right in and tapping me. What, what was the circumstances there? Um, 
again, it was a uh, you know the the we are now fifteen years down the line, and nobody's ever been found guilty of his his murder. Um, there was a trial in the high court that that one guy was found not proven. We've got a not proven verdict in in Scotland where um, they it's basically they believe you're guilty, but there's not enough evidence for them to say guilty. So we've got not guilty, um, guilty and not proven. Um, you can be retried on a not proven. If you get a not proven, do you not have to do any prison time? No, not proven. You, you're 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 no. You're acquitted on a not proven. Is that the same as the the fifth? No, it's no, it's, 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 it's actually a, a verdict that is um, doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And this is what I know, right? I know having been brought up in a scheme, having been. They don't have judges in Scotland, don't they? Have no, proctors or something. Else? No, in the in the high court, we've got a judge. All oh, right. So the high courts are judging a jury. Yeah. Um. So my brother's trial was a judge and a, and a jury. Um, there was thirteen on the jury, so what basically what that means is six couldn't find the the guy guilty, and six couldn't find him. I'm um, sorry, seven couldn't find him guilty, and seven couldn't find him innocent. So there was a, you know, the, hung. it was more or less hung. So we've got a thing up there called not proven, um, which is a anybody who I know having grew up who ever got a not proven verdict was. Um, was guilty, you know. There was never. I didn't yeah. know anybody innocent who got an uproar. They just paid someone. Do you think this guy actually did it then? Um, I I don't know if he actually did it, but I've no doubt whatsoever, and I touch on it in my second book, um, that he, um, he knows what happened. Definitely, what happened, my brother. Um, do, you, do you? Are you okay to say what happened? Um, I my my brother was um, he was, he was due to stand trial on a. Uh, international smuggling um, thing Colombia um, Antigua Belgium Britain um, and we, he was co-accused with, with this with this guy um, just before the trial my brother was found in a field with his throat cut stabbed 13 times in the back um, the trial collapsed they re-indicted the, some of the co-accused um and the guy who was my brother's original co-accused co was found not proven in that mm -hmm. trial. Ten years later, he was charged with my brother's murder and found not proven in that case as well. Um, so that was just a frustrating legal process, was it? Totally. Totally. Um, Bloody hell. You know, it's, it's, a, it's not a good verdict. It's a verdict that they should be looking into did, at him. Did they have, like, a very good solicitor or, I mean... I the the guy who was found not not proven of the of the charge had one of the best QCs Queen's Council yeah, in, in Scotland. Money talks. Uh, money talks. It? This guy's on two grand a day. Um, Derek Ogg's his name. Um, Derek Ogg had been the same guy who got him not proven on the on the smuggling thing. The smuggling, the connection between this guy and my brother, was the two of them were co-accused in an international smuggling trial. But that evidence wasn't allowed to be led in the murder trial, so there was the link between my brother and this guy that the prosecution was trying to make was very tenuous, um, and then they end up the jury they they weren't sure. Um, you said the smuggling ring had tentacles in Colombia. 
was some of that money then cartel money that was coming in to finance the legal um, team? No, um, that this guy he his money um, during the initial trial that collapsed, they had brought a a witness for Colombia, but he appeared behind a screen. Um, so it could have been you speaking with a Spanish yeah. accent, as far as yeah. I was concerned. You know what I mean? They brought this guy, and he was apparently he was he was some super grass that they were they were taking all in because he was grassing people in trials all over the place. Um, but the guy who was who was eventually found not proven, either the murder, um, I think he he business connections, um, and. You know, he could speak fluent Spanish and all that, so I, I don't really know, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know what happened the day my brother was murdered, but I don't believe that there's any smoke without fire when it comes to something like that. So when you got the news that this had happened, how old were you, where were you, and what 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 went through your head? So here's the thing, right, I was, uh, when that happened, I was 39. Um, I was working in the social work department in Glasgow, and I was actually in Liverpool training, and I got a, a phone call from my brother's wife saying, um, asking if he was with me, and I says, no, I'm down in Liverpool. Um, okay, it doesn't matter, it's fine. I came home the next day, and I went and saw my sister-in-law, and my brother, he hadn't come home. And he, he was missing, he was a missing person for two weeks. Um, and at the end of the two weeks, they found him in a field, and... Um, so that was the. It was a, just. It was a big shitty mess. And, and sounds and, it was horrifying to go uh, through that. You know, and it, and it just. I allowed it to, to drive me crazy. You know, I allowed it to, be uh, obsessed over the thought. Any point you felt revenge? Um. I, I suppose it might have. But you didn't know who to revenge. But I popped into me. But that was the thing, you know, because I knew there was, there was. You know, there's a few people probably aware of it. Because um, there was another co-accused in the trial who the case was deserted against him after the prosecution case. I think when there's, when there's um, drugs to the value of six zeros after any number, um, life becomes... In, in serial. Aye, life becomes pretty cheap, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so I obsessed on that, and the obsession on that um, meant I left social work. Um, I had a bit of breakdown. I ended up back, started off smoking dope again, um, having a wee line of coke. The whole circle. And then before you know it, I'm back on the pipe. When you said you had a breakdown, what were the symptoms of your breakdown other than reaching for drugs? <clears throat> um, basically, isolation. Um, you know, I, I couldn't... I, had, I was driven with this fear... I was in this long tunnel. Um, I felt as if I had this pressure on the top of my head. Everything was grey. Um, no, at the time, I, I, I wouldn't have said it was depression, but I, I know now it was, you know, I know. I felt like that one was unsentenced. When I was waiting to be sentenced, I felt like I was in the tunnel. I couldn't, right. see, I couldn't see no light. It's only until I got me eight years that I actually see any light. Yeah, like that, aye. Could you, you, you know... I hope you get justice for your brother, by the way. Aye, thanks. Aye. So you're going back into the dark realm now of addiction. Mm -hmm. And then how many years before you end up in India? So that was 
2004 he was killed. Um, the 2005 I left social work. End of 2005. 2005 was was okay. Um, in the end of 2005, um, post traumatic stress mm-hmm. hit me. Um, and I, I just I got up at the new year going into 2006. And um, I, I just I didn't want to go out my bed. I didn't want to leave the house. Um, I built. You know, I was in a relationship that broke down because of me, my behaviour, um, my relationships with all the people that cared about me. Um, I built this wall around about myself. Um, isolation was a big part of it. Um, but isolation's a big part of addiction as well. Isn't it? God, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was isolating myself, I'm back on the stuff, um, and then I'm starting to sell smaller bits of it to, if I'm not, I'm, you know, I didn't pay for all of the stuff I got, um, or I was selling bits to, to, to take bits. Um, and um, 2008, I decided that I was going travelling in India. Um, Why India? <clears throat> India kind of dated back to the, the time... In 1993, me and my brother, we went to Goa for the trance stuff, um, jungle parties and pills, and it was great. Um, I went back in 94, for a bit more of the same. Um, so when when he when he died, I, I'd went to India on holiday and I'd met a couple of guys and, and they told me what they were doing to make some money to stay there. And, and I thought, I'm going to go back there and do a bit of that. Yeah. So I went in 2008. Um, I started up in the north, went to the into Rajasthan, Punjab, New Delhi, um, right down into Kerala in the south of India and ended up in Goa. Um, and I had a few months on the beach and it was it was great, you know. It was, what are these Goa parties like? What's um, so special about them? They, they were, I don't, they're no, they don't really happen anymore. Um, but they were, so you picture it, it's an open air thing, it's um, a very deep bass line with electronic um, get through the thing and I saw you doing a wee impersonation of that um, the drugs were, were good, um, you know there was no atmosphere everybody was just all dancing no, and it was it was very tribal as well because you're in the jungle Yeah. Um, you know nobody's got Ralph end stuff on or anything like that. It was... It's the people from all over the world all just over. united. All over, man, I. When we first got there in 93, there was quite a big Israeli thing at the, at the raves. Um, but, you know, loads of, loads of British, um, French, Spanish. Later years, the kind of Russians have took over Goa, so it's no... The, no There's the no racial stuff to it, is there? There's no, like, um, he's gay or he's that or... No. Colour, that yeah, aim, very, black, you know, everyone's united. Aye, it was, it was, you know, anything went, and um, it was great. You know, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and probably right up until I don't know, I was there. Two thousand and two thousand and four, he died. I was there in two thousand and five, and I think I was at a couple of raves in two thousand and five, and then pretty much that was that was that because by then. Um, unknown to me, that there was Nigerians washing the coke up, and so you could buy crack here. You know, yeah. and it was, 
Um, so, you know, that was my go-to drug again. What uh, were the pills like, though, the ecstasy and Goa? Um, no, they were all, it was all good stuff. Or The first year we went, I can remember the capsules that we were speaking about and getting a hundred of them and emptying them out and getting them down the front of my trousers and um, and just walking through with them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Take my own hundred with me. Um, so where are you walking through with them? Where? Yeah. Um, into Turkey at first. Into Turkey? Turkey at first. Just Isn't it like death penalty there for drugs? Um, ah, yes. I, I don't think they're, they're not very keen on quite it. Quite serious, isn't ah, it? Quite serious. And it was... Um, so see, I, I says my brother was the, the sensible one at the two. He was also an idiot as well, right? He would drink and he would just be... And we were we were just in transit in Istanbul. So there was me, him, his wife, another guy who had been probably my, my best mate when I was growing up, had met us, he stays in Jersey, with his wife and another guy. And there ended up an argument in the queue, going through the transit, not everybody, so I just wanted to get through and... Um, and me and my brother ended up having this big argument, and he's he's actually nutted me. He's got a hundred in the front of his trousers. He's assaulted you in the airport. Oh! I've got a hundred in the front of my trousers. You're not thinking, well, he's not thinking. He was drunk, and I was, yeah. at that point, I wasn't he? Um, and I just, I, I felt my eye just shut in there. Um, so that was... Did that attract the authorities? They came out and told us to behave ourselves, no, there was no... I mean, brothers do fight, ah, I mean, but I'm... now you'd get arrested for that, wouldn't you? Ah, you would, uh, you definitely would. And then we went for there, we flew into Bombay, um, and at the time in 1993, Bombay, when we were there, it would have been February 93, and it was, it was on the tail end of some secular riots that was happening in India at the time. Um... And I can remember Bombay. We had to go from one airport to the other airport and try and get a flight to go. And, so um, when you say secular riots, what do you mean by that? Um, like Sikhs versus Hindus. Or Sikhs and Hindus. That they'd had a they'd had a problem. Um, I think it's been an ongoing thing since nineteen eighty four. Because didn't a bodyguard? It's like a Sikh bodyguard assassinate <clears throat> the leader. What happened was Indira Gandhi, who was the the. Prime Minister of India at the time. Yeah. Um, the Hindus and the Sikhs were, were having some problem. She ordered the Golden Temple at Amritsar to be stormed by the Indian Army. Um, it was called Operation Blue Star, so they pretty much destroyed their holy place. Um, two of her body, bodyguards who were Sikhs killed her. Um, and so there's, you know, there's been a, there's an, it's still ongoing, it's still an underlying thing there. Um, so that was happening. I remember arriving and thinking, the smells. I don't. Have you read Shantaram? Shantaram is the best book ever written by someone who's been to prison. So if you're watching this and you want a good book written by an ex-con, Shantaram, absolutely superb. Shantaram. I mean, you go to India, he takes you right there. He's on the run from Australia in the slums because he's educated. They think he's a doctor, and he just falls into the role. And you, I wanted to move to the slums of India after reading that. Uh, I, read I, this man's book first, though. Um, please, please, <laughs> yeah. please do. Um, I read Shantaram in... Two books, actually. Uh, and the go. link is in the description box below this video. So please support James. Thank Worldwide you. Worldwide on paperback and e-book. Um, I read Shantaram in prison in India. And I can remember lying, reading Shantaram. Because Shantaram's... I've never read that. I'm going to, so, I'm going to get so it. It's, it's a cracking book, book, right? But 
you know, it's so it's nine hundred pages. It's a tomb as well. You know what I mean? It's a it's a big book. Um, and as as the years went on, he's he's kind of David Gregory Roberts, the guy who wrote it, is is he's saying, well, that didn't really happen, and that didn't really happen, and because um, so, it's a Roman of clay, right, isn't it? Which right. means you take real stories and weave a fictional story around right. them. So that that that's what he's done, which is is great. But I'm lying. Done a lot of lying in my back and in, in jail in India, knowing I'm lying reading this book. The next thing, the tears are running down my face. Somebody's laughing, okay, and I'm saying, it's, it's, This book is great. And they just do a lot, they just couldn't understand. He's reading a book and he's crying and he says, It's a great book. I've actually had a book that did that too. I was reading, uh, it was a big book too, James Clavell, the Shogun. Aye, aye. I don't know what it is, you just aye. get into it so aye, much. Aye. I mean, I was, that's about 1400 pages. And then I got to a stage where I read about 150 pages a day. Yeah. I wouldn't get off my bunk bed. Yeah. I'd just be like fascinated with yeah, it. You I've know read Shogun I mean? as well. Yeah, That's one of my dad's favourite books, Shogun. Yeah. And The King Rat's good as well. Yeah. Yeah. I read got, all of his books. I think they got me teary-eyed is watching um, The Road. Cormac McCarthy wrote a book, The Road, and um, like a post-apocalyptic world and The Father and the Son. And there's like cannibal people and everything around. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. But going back to your story, um, you're at the good time in Goa. Uh-huh. And how's it going to get bad? So what happened was I went, I went back. The first signs that it was going to get bad were 2007. I went back. Um, loads of my friends were there. Um, I had, they were there. I flew back for two weeks. I brought something back. Yeah. Um, flew back again. Went and got my mum. Flew back again. My mum stayed for two weeks. But I, I, I ended up back on the pipe at this point. Um, and I ended up... I, I was there for about 13 weeks. Um, everybody left. The girlfriend that I was with, she stayed a bit longer. She left and... Um, I was I was sending stuff back and it was it was I was on the pipe and it was horrendous, um, because by this point, I was with another couple of guys, um, it would be getting woke up for your breakfast and you know that that yeah. sort of stuff and and then if if you found out they did breakfast together and I mean by a breakfast as a pipe, if you found out they did breakfast together and you you hadn't been invited and and it was all it was a big shitty mess and. Um, it's just a big. Their rocks are bigger than mine. Ah, I'm getting the small rocks. You know, and rocks gone missing and yeah. all that stuff, and and it was horrible. And we were all Scottish, you know. What I mean, it was. It Let was me just, check under your nails. You're hiding that rock, yeah, aren't you? Bit, you know, why are they behind the curtain? Uh, <laughs> the fans has gone out of the curtain, and um, all the fans are the worst. The ceiling fans. <laughs> <laughs> Catches your eye, doesn't it? Uh, that was the. So that that was the. 13 weeks, and I can remember, because by this point I'm taking loads of Valium. Um, so I'm high as a kite, loads of Valium, nitrazepam, um, which is a sleeping tablet as well. I'd lost my phone. Um, I could only remember one phone number, and this was the guy I used to always phone. And then I phoned him this time, and he says, Look, Linda, the last I was seen, says, You have to come home. No, everything will be all right. And I thought, Right, okay, I'm going to try and get back. and I remember I arrived back in Glasgow Airport. This is two thousand and seven, um, and 
I couldn't remember my address. My my luggage or my rucksack couldn't come through. Mm. And when I was saying what's your address and, and I and I've had to look it up because I couldn't remember. Um I couldn't speak properly because of the volume. Um and I, I was in a terrible mess but they you know, she kinda of nursed me back to health and um but by that point I knew that I couldn't live in Glasgow, you know, I, I knew that I had to get back, I had to get back to India. Um I was being driven by selfishness. I had to get back to get away from the mess that was in Scotland. Um, well, you say selfishness, but you've lost half your family. Yeah. So there's more to it than selfishness. Aye, but, yeah. you know, but the other half of the family had also lost half of their family as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so the, the selfishness came uh, the the fact that my mum had lost her husband when, uh, when I was 10. She'd lost her son when I was 39. Your mum probably needed you around, didn't she? Absolutely, no, and, and my son... And you never thought, you don't think about that, though, do you? No, you, you, just you think... didn't, you know what I mean? Because it was all about me, it was about my brother. Yeah. You know, and I, and I talk about... Because I then portrayed myself as being the victim, you know, I wore this victim's badge, and my brother's been murdered, and I'll behave whatever way I want. Um, and that's that's pretty selfish, that's selfish to the core. Um, so that's what happened. 2007, I, I just had... I had one eye on what can I do to get away from here, you know, and um, and I managed to get some money together. Um, and the plan was just to go and travel for six months. Mm. Um, but I was abandoning my son. I was abandoning my mum. Um, no, it was just I was running away, but running away from the way I felt, not realising that I was taking that with me wherever I went, you know, so that was, that's what happened. So you took your pain over to India. You're going to travel and kind of work through it. Is that is that your hope? Um, basically, just travel, you know, and travel and um, send me bits of stuff back here just to kind of subsidise. So, so that was your work. You wasn't going to like <clears throat> fields and. No, I took some. We had some money. Um, me and the me and the boy who was my my working partner. Yeah. Me and the boy who was my smoking crack partner um, my mate he'd been my mate for, for a long long time um, he'd suffered when my brother was killed as well the two years went I had the the knowledge I let him in and the knowledge and the two years stayed for six months and we had a cracking time but also we had some dark times during that six months yeah. as well um, it's good that there's two years though absolutely yeah, you know and it was more therapeutic for him than when he met a girl Um the two years come back in early 2009, March 2009. Um, he had met this girl, um, and I knew I had to get away again, you know, and I lasted three weeks yeah. in Glasgow and I flew back to India. You said there was dark times. What was the darkest thing that happened there? Um, the dark times was just back on the pipe, you know. It was it was back on that and um, the risks we were taking, um, you know, because... Any any of the stuff I done in India, I was never going to make millions of money out of it. You know, it no. was I was I was going to make enough to pay the bills that I had accrued, and go and buy me me of the stuff that I was I was using to to run away from myself. You said you were sending stuff back, but what exactly were you buying cheap there and sending um, here? Sending Valium back. Valium. Um, Valium what did Valium cost? Um, I can't really remember. It's a few years ago now, but they were they were pennies. You know, they were. I think you get a thousand for ninety quid or something like that. What would your profit be on that? 
Um, I was just getting my boy, and, and he was selling them for a pound a go. Or, yeah. So there was a good profit on it, you know what I mean? So yeah. the, the, the tamazi pans, they'd go for pound, pound, fifty yeah. a go. A pound a go. Um, so this is financing what you're doing. This was over financing there. me staying there. So you could have actually made money if you wasn't getting cracked uh, out. Absolutely, but I, um, I was also sending small bits of hash back. Yeah. Um, you know, like two hundred grams in the post and stuff like that. Um, you know, if you send enough of them, you know, I had to. That was the. And are you were of the consequences in that country if you were to get caught doing any of this. Absolutely, I, I, I was, you know, I was, but I had this belief that I'm never going to get caught. You know, it's no. We were joking. We we're above the law. They're never going to catch us. Uh, we're too smart yeah. for the police. That was the that was the thing. Um, so when I'm back, um, you know, and you you used to probably got it as well. I'm sure you have. Well, have I had to make that decision? <laughs> Didn't make the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after your life probably. But so when I, when I went back in two thousand and nine, um, I went back in April, and um. First thing I done was went and got a couple of small bits of hash to send back, um, and I had two options. My options were a Nigerian guy who had been getting stuff for previous, or a young Goan guy, a young Indian boy, um, who had been getting stuff for previous as well. And there was something about the Nigerian boy that I didn't trust. Yeah. I thought, no, I, I don't, I don't trust you, and I had this feeling in my stomach and. And I went, the, the day I got arrested, I went to the, the going boy and he was working with police. <laughs> oh. um, so your instinct was wrong? My instinct was wrong. I knew something was well, up. it was but right, but you didn't know I, which one. Yeah. <laughs> it was 50-50 on it and chose the wrong one. <laughs> Can you take us through the day of your arrest? Mm-hmm. So I, I, it was a Saturday and I don't know if this will resonate with any of you as well, right? But on the Friday when I was supposed to go and get it, the boy cancelled on me. Leave it to tomorrow, you know. And and with hindsight, an omen. you know. So when with hindsight, when I think of other things that I've known about or experienced in the past, when anything like that happens, it's happening for a reason, and the reason's yeah. never good. Um. So Saturday morning, I got up. Um. I, I went and got a taxi, and we travelled. Uh, about an hour, whatever, for the, the south of Goa where I was staying, a bit longer than an hour, up to North Goa. Um, the boy knew I was coming. We went into his, into his wee room, he was he had a wee room at his auntie's. This boy comes for a family with money, with a big restaurant and that in, yeah. in, in Goa. Um, so we went into this wee room. He had the cold, right? So he's, and I'm I'm saying, you taking that stuff? Uh, I've got a, I've got a Russian girlfriend, and she likes the stuff, and so we take some stuff. And I knew that I'm, I'm saying there's something shady about him. He took a phone call when I was there, and he spoke in Konkani, which is the local Goan language. So it's no Hindi. It's it's a, it's a Portuguese Indian mix. And like it's, a slang. It's no. It's as an actual recognised oh, yeah. language. But it's very, very guttural and and you know it's very spoken very quickly, um, and I don't I don't understand very much yet. Um, and he's gave me the the bag, and I was buying three kilos, 
Um, and I, I also bought 400 grams of stuff for myself that was better for smoking. Um, and I can remember when I left the place, there was a an Indian drove by on a scooter and he's looked at me like that when he went past and I thought, you're looking at on um, Probably the Glaswegian came out on me and I'm thinking, this yeah. is looking at. But I got into the taxi, the guy was waiting on me, we got into the taxi and we drove away. Um, and about ten minutes down the road, in the in the side, oops, in the side mirror, I saw a police jeep, and I thought, oh. so I've got my eye on the police jeep, but it's come out and it's overtook the traffic behind me and overtook us, and I relaxed a wee bit, um, but we're on this, it was like a, a busy dual carriageway, and we got to a bit where there was speed breakers. Um, so the the taxi I was in was like a high ace van, or, you know, the kind of wee thing where the wheels are only very big, and so they 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 almost stopped when they were going on these speed breakers. Aye, so we stopped. Next thing, this Indian guy swaggered out and staggered in front of the car. And I thought, be careful, you're going to get ran over. And um, he kind of stood like that, and then I saw these other Indians just appearing, and they swooped on the car. Um. By this point, the tunnel came back. Everything went all cartoon colours for me. Um, I couldn't even hear right. It was a wee bit of shock. Um, and I thought, you're caught. Um, they they took the driver out of the taxi. They took me from the front, threw me in the back. So the bag's under the front seat. They took me, threw me in the back, and just drove away. So that was the arrest. You know, there, there was no arrest scene. There was no any um, any exhibits took you the scene or anything yeah. like that. They just took me straight into Panjim. Were any of those in uniforms? No, nobody was in uniform. So did you possibly think you were getting kidnapped or something at some point? I, I, I just I, I kind of got the the feeling that it was the police, and they maybe even a shouted police. Um, so I can. Uh, you fortunate it was, and not getting kidnapped, really. Absolutely, aye, as it transpires. Aye, see, be honest, but I think if any kidnapping that's happening there, there, it's the police that do it as well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Same in Mexico. Aye, so, aye, so, um, they they drove the ten minutes to into the city centre. Um, took me out and took me into the main police station. Um, into an office in the main police station. Um, and, I, and I thought, right, that's it, you're, you're caught, no, and, and so all I'm hearing is foreigner drugs, no, and, yeah. and, and amongst all this language that I don't understand, any, yeah. Could uh, you not buy yourself out? Well, they, at first there was no mention of, no mention of money, um, they took me and they put me into this dungeon, um, and this guy came along, introduced himself as being the boss. Yeah. Um, and told me if I gave him $10,000 um, that he would make my case disappear. But by that point, I'm in the police station. I've been booked in. Um, there's 50 policemen being in and out and looking at me. You don't know who the hell this guy is? Uh, I don't know who he is. And to be honest, I would have had to have took time to get the $10,000 anyway. You know, what yeah. I, mean? I couldn't have said, go back, I've got it in my room. Um, What's an Indian police station like? 
What's it look like? Have you got the bars on the doors and things like that? Razor no. wire? <clears throat> no, the, the actual police station where, where, where I was kept for the first week was, it was a, so it was a, it was a dungeon. Um, the, the, there was bars on the, on the, instead of a door. Mm-hmm. There was a window about, I don't know, about 10 feet high, just a, a, wee, a window just big enough to let all the mosquitoes in yeah. when it got dark. Um, then there was a so there was like a, a small concrete step was where you slept um, on the on the step. Um, Did they have a shower or like a big uh, skull? They, they had like the, a hose, literally a hose coming out the wall like that, uh, and that's your shower. What they had was they had a another room, and in the other room there was a hole in the ground for the toilet. Yeah. Beside that there was a a wash hand basin, and then there was another part of it that had a, a tap coming out the wall in a bucket. So that was your, your shower. When they used to say you have a bath, was just a bucket. Um, yeah. But the, the place was covered in shit. It was covered in blood. Um, People getting beat down. It was covered in, um, you know, they, they chew tobacco stuff out there and they just spit it. And So the place was clatty, you know what I mean? It was... <sighs> what about the heat? The, it was really, really... Well, I got arrested on the 23rd of May. The monsoon comes the second week in June, so the, the, the heat was just soaring. Oh, humidity. Um, it, was, it was, the humid was, it was terrible. You, you were actually, and I saw you speaking about it as well, you know, you've just got that layers of, you know, your skin is, is practically peeling with it. You're shining, aren't you? Ah, shining. No, um, and that prickly heat on any of your, any of your joints just... Cause you're, cause you're moving. That was terrible. But the so the first night, um, I was it. Something happened to me. Um, I Have was, you got cellmates at this point or anything? At this point, no. Um, at this point, I didn't have anybody when I first when they first put me in. Um, I'm in this room, and then they've came and they've took me along into the into their wee office, where they're all playing at cards and they're having some laugh. Yeah, um, it's like a scene out of Banged Up Abroad, isn't honest it? Honest to God, that's exactly what, because obviously by this point I've watched Banged Up Abroad, no? And all I could think was, oh no, I'm Banged Up Abroad, no? Um, I was, so I was thinking that. Um, I don't really know what's happened. I know that it's done to this wee Indian guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so they came, I got arrested about one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. They came about seven, just as it was getting dark, and took me and drove me back to my apartment, um, which is about an hour's drive, um, to search the apartment. Um, they, they, they didn't find anything in the apartment, but they, they took my clothes, they took the money that I had there, which was a lot of money. Um, they took, um, you know, I like to entertain, so I had bottles of whiskey and vodka, although I didn't drink myself. But, yeah. Um, they were bouncing on my bed and they had the air conditioning on and it was it was it was like you know, it was like a carry on movie. Um and they what they also done which was which was rubbish of them as it transpires, but they took my passport and they when they done the when they charged me, they said that I had had my passport in my pocket when I was arrested. So they attached the passport to the exhibits in my in my case. Oh. So when I eventually got bail, um, they, didn't I didn't have a passport. My passport was mm. part of the part of the productions in the 
and the evidence. So, um, but when we went back to back to the the police station, um, I had two cellmates. One was a young guy, and one was an older going guy. Um, the old guy was just a poor soul. The young guy was he thought it was a laugh, no? Cause yeah. He was, he was in for stealing a mobile phone or, or something like that. Not going to be in long. No. Second, that was a joke. Aye. Um, and on reflection, it probably wasn't his first time, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was when they were wanting to question and you know, where I was free and what was all the other stuff. Um, was there any, like, vent system or anything, or fans? No, all, all that was there was the... So the, the gated bars, mm-hmm. um, the, bar, the the door led into a corridor, and along at the end of the corridor was a wee row of stairs and it took you outside, so there was... There was no, there wasn't much air coming at all. There wasn't much air coming there because when it rained and it, it was starting to rain on and off, then you would get a wee bit of respite for the heat. Um, Have they fed you by now? No. What happened was the the police went out and brought me back a couple of samosas and a, you know, they were, that was them telling me they were doing me a good turn and they were the good guys. Um, so that was that. Was my you're lucky to get anything, aren't you? Really? I know oh, absolutely. In Mexico, they'll give you. I mean, they'll give you a bit of bowl of beans and rice. But other than that, you're not getting anything. Oh. You have to have family coming and give you mm. your food. And there's nothing worse. You can be sat there with your beans and rice, and the guy next to you <laughs> sat there with like you know burritos and oh. enchiladas <laughs> and everything's mass cooked him and it smells fit. Uh, you could have just took it half of me. <laughs> <laughs> Plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been nabbed. You're a Westerner. They're looking at you as a meal ticket. Absolutely. They've secured your passport so the meal ticket can't escape. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Um, so that was the that was the Saturday. On the Sunday, they, they came and got me back out of the dungeon to take me back along to the office. And I saw one of the local newspapers line that says a foreigner, Scotsman... Um, arrested at Shapora bus stop yeah. with a bag taken to a prospective customer. And I was like, that, what's that? You know, that's not what happened. Um, and they were like, because they, they, they came and said to me, where did you get the drugs? And I'm saying, I'm not telling you. Um, they were like, okay. I'm thinking, well, where's the interrogation? You know, there was no interrogation. And, and I, I, none of it made sense. The next day I saw this, um, headline and I've I've says to the arresting officer, What's that? He says, Oh that's just a story, we don't make the stories. I was like fine. So as it transpired, you know, they they done me a big favour by embellishing it. Because mm. um, it's in the country then it's not international. No basically so see if it says he would he went and bought the drugs for this boy. Um, we arrested him in a taxi. Um, then they had a taxi driver as a witness, and they would have been able to prove that because it was pretty much the truth. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But what they say was that acting on reliable information, I was coming with three kilos of charis to sell to a prospective customer. They were all hiding at a bus stop, went to me walk on foot. So the crime scene wasn't where it had actually happened. I had been buying, they said I was selling. Um, and it wasn't until I'd lay in prison for almost a year that it all became apparent what had actually happened, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was all down to the fact that 
any drugs that had been seized in Goa, the police were the ones who were supposed to destroy the drugs. And they obviously don't. They yeah, snack so they, it out. So they don't, you know. and They redistribute them. They just redistribute them, aye. And then every now and again, somebody will say, there's a f- fat foreigner, let's yeah. take everything off of him. And I was the f- fat foreigner at that point, so... Pablo Escobar a deal with the police where he'd say, go and raid this warehouse and you know invite the news and make your headlines and get your promotions. Right. And then after all the media had left, Pablo just shipped the drugs to America and sell them. Right. <laughs> anyway, right. So aye, that was the... Uh, but it's, so it, I'm thinking, why are they not coming? Because they beat you on the, with a... With a Bamboo canes. That's that's. You got beat. No, no, I never got beat. That's so I'm thinking. When is the beating happening? Yeah. You know when are they going to come and beat the soles of my feet? To, I'm crying, telling them where I got the drugs, um, and it never ever came. And I'm I'm thinking. You almost sound disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the elder. S and M. Yes and M. Tasers. I was thinking. Well, well, I put a bit of that in the book, but it didn't happen. So. So they're giving you reflexology instead. Yeah. <laughs> that was a wee Japanese boy, but aye, there was, there was a lot of that armed in the jail. All right, so how long are you in the jail on remand? I was on remand for um, for 11 months. Bloody hell, so you are in that dungeon for 11 months? No, sorry, I was I was in that police station for a week. A week? I then appeared in front of the, the judge who remanded me to judicial custody. What's it like, an Indian courtroom? Um... So I kind of, I don't know, people our age would be able to remember. Um, Did you have to flag at the back? No, there was no flag. It was, you know, there was the policemen had flip-flops on. They had a ba- the odd one had a bamboo stick. Yeah. Um, the So all the cases are all getting, you know, there was no kind of order to it all. Are you behind glass or, yeah? No, no absolutely, just... absolutely nothing, man. And yeah. if you go into my social media... Um, I've got some pictures of the judge who eventually um, acquitted me, and I've got some pictures of the court. Um, you know, it was it was it's quite old looking because it is quite old, and yeah. the monsoon ravages the place as well. Um, you know, and the the policemen who are going to give evidence against you, they're sitting all through the trial to hear what all the rest of the evidence is. The full setup is what happens is the arresting officer in your case he writes it. What happened, right? So he says, James Stoner, acting on his, um, specific and reliable information, was coming to this bus stop. We were hiding. Um, we jumped to it. We, we, we arrested him. We asked him, did he have anything to say? Did he mind to be um, searched and stuff like that? He writes out the, the, the false statement, which is called the Panchanama. So that's basically the charges against you, yeah. the Panchanama. And then all the policemen who have no even been there anyway, they are, they are another panchanama to say what the first policeman said is the truth. So the other policemen are only getting their version of events. They're just saying what he's saying is true. So... Yeah, so that's what you mean. You know what I mean? So there's only one lot of evidence, really, Yeah. on the arrest. Um, they take an independent person to the arrest scene so the, the independent guy in my case was a 21-year-old student. Um, so when it came to him being cross-examined, he's having to real really a story that didn't actually happen. So he's going to have to be pretty sharp because the lawyer is sharp. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So he ended up getting caught telling about a dozen lies during these, um, you know, and there was absolutely nothing about perjury or, you know, and and he was told, come back next week, and he didn't turn up, and then, because this I appeared in court a hundred times. In a four-year period, a hundred times. Isn't there some law in India they've got a, you've got to see a judge every so many weeks or something? Aye, you've got to see that. Um, so the 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 first part of it is every two weeks when you're on. Every two every weeks. Every two weeks when you're on remand. Um, but the what will happen is, and what happened in my case, so I, I was appearing in the NDPS court, which is the Narcotic Drugs and Psychotriptic substance court there only is one judge so that one judge deals with all the drug cases um i'd been there about two or three weeks and the judge moved to another department so for i don't know for about three or four months there wasn't a judge in the case so all the cases in the drug court they were just going up and getting remanded and sent back and remanded and um, it was it was horrendous. You know? So if you got to be there every two weeks, then so you just got to see the judge. We, we ours was every month at least. We were in there, but like it was like a nightmare getting to court. They come and wake you up at midnight, and then they put in holding cells all day long. Yeah. And by the time you get to court, you're just like t- seeing things and like you, you're just so knackered, but oh. you're like nervous as well. What's going to happen today? So, was it was it like that for so this, you? This is about see when you're on. When you're, they, they call it under trial. So we would call it remand. You're under yeah. trial. So when you're, until your papers are served on you, which can take up to six months. You're not guilty. So you're, you're, it's the police who arrested you who come every two weeks to take you to court. Oh, uh, you're arresting officers? Your arresting officers come and take you to court. So they would say to me, why are you smiling? I don't know. Because I smile, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why are you smiling? And I'm, I'm, I always smile. Don't look at me when you're smiling. You're, you're looking at me when I'm smiling. But um, you think it's funny. I'm like, no, it's my nerves, you know what I mean? And So they would come, but they I never ever gave them any grief. So they would, we would go to court and they would stop and they would buy me a wee samosa, a fresh lime soda. Um, so it was all right, you know what I mean? It was yeah. um And then they would say to me, when your case is finished, Come and work with us. Turn right. high as an informant. Come and work, come and work with us. Like that. Um, and what happens is, you you you, you get served your papers. You, it's called, you're actually getting charged. So the first few months, you're not actually being officially charged. You get charged at court. They give you your papers, and then you know what their case against you is. Um, and once that happens, it's the prison. Um, it's the actual police who come and pick you up for court and for jail. Well, the judge will see it that many times. He must know himself, generally. As soon as you step in there and they, he reads the report, he knows whether you're being set up or whether, you know, what's going on. Couldn't the embassy do anything at this point? The embassy were as use, useful as a chocolate fire guard. Were they? They were ridiculous. So I saw the British consular service. Yeah. The British consular, tourist assistance office, they were called, where... They were all going people. So in the four years I was going through a trial in India, I never saw one British person. Wow. See, the embassy when I was in America would be very good, actually. I mean, I'd get letters via, via them from Kerry, and they would get to send me money via Steve, Stu. 
to help out quite a bit. Stephen come and see me once. I think the, the problem there was that, <clears throat> so Goa is a small place, right? Yeah. So if, if a lot of them are called Rodriguez, D'Souza, um, all the, all the kind of, all the ones in public service jobs, all the lawyers were all... Fernandez. Um, they, they were all, Fernandez and all that, they, yeah. they were all Christian, Catholic, right? Oh, yeah. So if if the policeman's called Fernandez and the the lawyer's called Fernandez and the the person for the consular service is called Fernandez, there's a good chance that they're all related and if they're not related, somebody, because it's a small place. So what I found was that the... On the Monday, the policeman who arrested me turned up, first of all, with the consular service. They're speaking in Konkani in front of me and I don't understand any of it. So straight yeah. away, I don't trust these people. No. Um, because they're no, it's no, it's no somebody British. It's no somebody British speaking in my language. Um, then the policeman who arrested me has appeared with a guy for the, the lawyers um, who deal with all the foreigners as well. So it's just a big, it's a big shitty mess. The system's a mess. Everybody, the lawyer, the police... None of them are independent. They're all working in the no, same pocket. Absolutely not, you know what They're I mean? They're all getting paid by the same person, aren't they? The uh, People like you just creating <laughs> jobs for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the judge was probably in on it as well. Aye, uh, yeah. So how long is it then before you get moved over to the prison? So after a week I get moved to... Um, another lock-up, but it was a bigger lock-up place. Um, so I, I I don't know whether it's going to be worse or whether it's going to be better or, or what. Um, it's always that uncertainty when you go to a new aye. place. That's right. Aye. So I, w- I went there on the... I got arrested on the Saturday and then the following Saturday I got took to the... To the could be any worse though, could it? At the, the first jail. No, that's right. My, my concern was that... So I had a... I had the two guys in my cell, and then another guy came in, and he was okay. But I didn't know in terms of um, inmates what they were going to be like when I got there, and um, whether it's usually like a foreign community, isn't there? A local Aye, community. That, that's probably the way it kind of ended up as well. That's yeah. how it ended Aye. up. Aye. Um So my first day when I got there, I got processed. Um, you know, and it, it's nothing like a prison here. It's nothing like a prison in America. It's no, there's bars in the windy, and and do you remember Alias Smith and Jones? No, last Smith and Jones, the the cowboy Alias Smith and Jones, the two of them were had been promised an amnesty after after governor, and they were they were on the run. This is a cowboy thing for the seventies. Oh right, um, right. But every now and again, one of them would get caught, and the other one would break them out of the jail. Yeah, tying the rope to his saddle and pulling the bars. The windy, you know. Oh, and, so it was like the type of place you see, like on Bonanza. Or exactly, on, man. Yeah, like, it was. It was a bigger version. Yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. That's exactly what it was like. You know, yeah. what I mean, a a, a a jail in a week in a western. Yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. That that that's what getting processed. And I'm thinking, what is this? Um, so in America, processed fingerprints, mug shots, strip search. Aye. So the the process, the fingerprints had been. Had, been took in the police station, but when I got processed into the jail, basically it was no, um, no fingerprints, no mugshot, because they'd. That was another wee funny story as well. When I'd been in the police custody for a week, they came and says to me, "We're taking you for your your photos." Um, 
I was like, cool, so they've wrote my name and a number on a board. Took me along to the office and then two of them stood up and says, come. So I'm not handcuffed, I've got flip-flops on. And they took me out of the police station and I lang into a photo click shop. <laughs> photo click shop, and I'm sitting in this photo click shop getting my pictures took. Well, we had, real, we had to sit and wait on them getting developed. <laughs> so seriously, that that's that's how... Um, what about strip search? No strip search, when I got arrested, there was you know there was no physical search when I got arrested. When I got to the jail... Um, the the old guy who who was searching me. So the governor, you're right in front of the governor, or the jailer, they, they call him out there. He's sitting, and then there's the old guy, and he's searching me, and he's put his stick against the water he, to search me, and he's touching my balls and that. And so I've just stripped. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, well, you're touching it, you know, want to look. He's like, you put your clothes on, James Toner. I was like, stop touching me like that then. Um, and that was it, you know. Didn't try and put his finger in your bum. No, absolutely none of that. Man. Good. I <laughs> used to do that in Arizona. Rubber gloved finger up the arse. It was um, ruled unconstitutional. But we, we got arrested just after they'd stopped it. Uh, don't even lube it up, the bastards. I don't even spit on it. No. <laughs> I so there was there was that was that was it. Gave me my my blanket, um, a, a shitty pillow, a wee towel, a big bar of carbolic soap. Um, and took me along and, and opened this cell door and there was 25 Indian faces all just turned around and looked at me like that. And 25 locals. That was me, I. No, you say cabalic soap, is that like the stuff we, you nana used to have, like <laughs> big green that's bar? That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten that existed. Yeah. Bloody um, hell. You got your nans and she'd always have it. <laughs> right next to that thing where you did dry the clothes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like the mango. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how does it feel walking out in that cell in the Seoul Glaswegian? So I'm 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 full of I don't know if it's fear, but I'm full of something anyway. You're fronting out though, aren't you? Ah, yeah, like that. I, yeah. Are they in. looking at you in a predatory way? Um, no, it was just a, a kid's, I, I was the only white face, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. At, in this room anyway, and I went in and they've all looked at me and, and this guy, a man came out about my age, turns out he's a bit younger than me. And I've says to him, he says, my name's Didi. Um, and he pointed to a, a small space in the corner. Say that's where he you says, live. that's where you live, that's your space. Yeah. He says, as people leave, we'll, we'll move you in. So I'm looking at this wee space in the corner. Um, and I says to him, my name's James. And he says to me, don't worry, James, we know your name. We've been waiting on you coming. Um, if anybody wants to speak about your case... Don't speak to anybody because we all know your case. It's been in the newspapers this week. So I thought, that's quite decent to him there, you know what I mean? See, um, if I'd have had that, I'd have never gotten in any trouble. Aye. Um, <laughs> so so they'd, for a week, my my story had been in the paper, unknown to me. Yeah. My case had been in the papers. Um, they knew I was coming. They were wondering what they were going so to do. So you're not going to get a not guilty, are you? Aye. So, <laughs> well, as it transpired, I did. Ah. Uh, I was found not guilty at the end of a four-year trial. Wow. Did you get any comp for that? No. no. I come down to Liverpool and I'm appearing on podcasts and I'm trying to sell a book to... Yeah! <laughs> we, we cook That's some your conversation, yeah, yeah. So, four years unsentenced? No. So what, what happened was, um, I, that was May 
Um, that would have been the 30th of me when I, when I got took to that place. I was there June, July, August, September. Um, and the very end of September, I got transferred again to a bigger, a bigger jail. What was it like going in that one? Um, so by then I was quite comfortable in the full system. Yeah. Um, I was getting dope in and I was stoned every day. And so when you say dope? Hash, hash, hash. So I was getting getting the hash and I was stoned pretty much every day. Um, I knew who got sleeping tablets and I was able to get a wee sleeping tablet. And um, How are you paying for that? So I, I was I had people who... Um, people had brought... My mate had brought me our money. Um, so somebody outside was hoarding my money. Mm. The guards would just go and meet somebody and somebody would get Street to street. Seat, you know, so it was... The guards are only on 60 or 70 quid a month wages, so they would have pretty much done anything for... Yeah. Um, for the next bit of, bit of pie. Were well, there so, any, like, big-time gangsters in the manipulating there, the system? There absolutely was, man. There was, uh, there was one guy... So at first, this were in the yard on the very first day, and this guy's said hello to me. Um, my name's Ashpack. And I'm like, how you doing? My name's James. He's like, I know your name and all that. So, so all these people know you and you don't know them, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, um, and then this other guy came And they say paranoia, it really is happening. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'd, I'd loads of wee moments of that because yeah. this guy, this other guy came, who's, who was obviously an addict. Um, and he's came and he says to me, hello, James. And I was like, hi. Um, do you not remember me? And I'm like, no, I don't remember you. He says, I, I met you and your brother Martin back in the 90s. And I'm like, ah, right. Um, he says, and he said, he told me the bar where they met me. And I'm like, ah. so, so this wouldn't have been in the paper. So this guy, he must have known me for this, for this bar. Yeah, right? yeah. So he must have known me for this bar. And he knew my brother had been killed. Um, so people were then so. You know me. an awful lot about you, like well, don't honest, they? Honestly, <laughs> yeah. man, I, it was. So this 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 guy, he knows me. People saw me speaking to him. People saw me speaking to this guy Ashpack, um, who's a, a Muslim guy with a big long beard and a baldy baldy head. Um, evil personified, you could see evil in this guy. Like this guy, he was like a shark caller. Uh, he he was the he was a murderer. Who was that? Was that what? Like a shot call, like, like he was a shot leader, call. The leader he, of the yard. He he was the guy, and he was definitely the guy in the jail. Um, shot call. So other people were saying to me, "Don't speak to him." You know, he's he's not a nice guy, and um, and as it transpired, he tried. He was running the show, and he was up. He was in for a murder. He'd been found not guilty in a few other murders, and he was part of the Bombay Mafia. This guy as well. So he was a horrible, horrible individual. Um, Good to know though while you're in there. Eh? Good to know while well, you're so in there. Well, that's what I'm thinking. So I ended up, <laughs> I, I I was in this big horrible room, that was like the transit room. So people yeah. were every day somebody was getting let released, and and that can affect you as if well. If you get your bed, I suppose. Uh, so me and the Greek, there was a Greek guy came in, and me and the Greek guy ended up getting moving into this Ashbacks room. Yeah, and he was horrible, man. He was. So I wasn't scared of him. Um, I was very wary of him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't scared, scared of him. But unknown to me, the Greek guy's girlfriend had met some of this guy's goons outside, gave him money. He was going to help him escape and, and all stuff like that. And, and what happened was that once a week, they came 
and you put a request in and you get used on the international telephone, which was outside the jail in a shop. Right. So they would come and get you, two, either two young policemen or two old guys who were near the end of their time, and they would walk you around in the blazing hot sun, run into this um, international phone shop. So unknown to me, the Greek guy's girlfriend had given this Ashback money so his men outside could help him escape. It was never going to happen. No, no, um, no. It was never going to happen. So he then got very frustrated about it, and I could, he was always asking Ash back, and, and I've eventually said to him, what the fuck's happening here, you know what I mean? What's going on with you and him? And he told me. And Ashback's attitude towards him changed, and he became really nasty. Um, bear in mind, by this point, we're in a room probably about this this wide and that long, and there was nine years, so... Nowhere to walk your temper off, is there? Nowhere to do anything at all, you know. We're all living on top of one another. Ashback would say to him um, stuff like, oh, my friend told me your girlfriend's got a lovely flat. Um, You know, just that... Just wind him up. Just that stuff. um, Yeah. She's got a fantastic arse. Mm. Um, And then he would say... You shouldn't have introduced him to your girlfriend because no. So he put the fear of God into him as well. Putting it was, that ho- doubt in it as was well. horrible, horrible to watch. Did you say he was a Greek guy? The Greek guy was was my friend, I. Yeah, so he didn't have much back then. He he, he, he didn't have any at all. No, so he just it's just one of the many scams it, they run on. It foreigners. was absolutely rubbish, man. And, and I ended up saying to Ashback, the the Indian guy, look, leave it out with him, please. He's like, I'm going to end up beating him. I says, look. Me and him will just leave the room. We'll, we'll, we'll leave you to it. But we had money um, to buy fruit and biscuits and everything, all the commodities yeah. that nobody else had, you know. And, and Ashback had money as well, so he would buy his stuff, we would buy our stuff, and our, our room was stocked, you know. We, we, food. We, we had food, and, and um, he didn't want us to leave in case he got somebody else that didn't have what we had to yeah. go down to the party type thing. So um, he says, like, okay, I'll leave him. Did they have stores, like prison stores? No. We wrote a list out and one of the guards would come and get everybody's list and then you would go and pick it up once once, once a few of them had been to the market. Yeah, but I mean, like, actually in, in the prison, not like um, over there or in America, like, uh, and then he'd get, he'd get a locker full of stuff and do it two for three. No. No. No, there, there, there was there was none of that. There was no. Um, the only things that were that were getting sold was probably be packs of tobacco. All oh, right, um, right. So th- and it was the 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 poison stuff that cost five rupees, which is spitting tobacco. Um, spitting tobacco, you know, and it's acrid smoke and poisoning them when they're smoking. But so they were buying that for five rupees outside. And selling it for a hundred rupees in there, you it's know. Horrible, that stuff spitting oh, tobacco. Aye, it's, it's not for smoking anyway, you know. No, I mean, I mean I'd, in Arizona, there's a lot of cowboys, and that's what they do. Big wads of it, and all you see, you know, aye, walking around with well, plastic they, cup. They, they were only spitting in a plate. They would just spit. No, oh, that was. That's um, it. So the what Ashpack done was he just transferred his 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 stuff for the Greek guy onto an Italian guy, and it was who was in the same room. So. The, all the atmosphere was still there, and what what happened was, um, Ramadan came in mm-hmm. two thousand and nine. All the Muslim guys, at Ashback's behest, had moved into another room for Ramadan, and the atmosphere in the in their cell just changed, and it was, 
it was so light and it was it was good. You know, we were playing chess again and um, boys were doing press ups during the day and you no, know, it, it was it was all right. The day before Eid, when Ramadan finishes, Ashback came and says to me, "I'm bringing another boy to the room." And I said, "You can't, man. There's nine years in the room." Yeah. And he says, "Don't worry, I'll put somebody out the room." And I says, "Don't bother, I'll leave." No, 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 you stay. And I says, "No, I'll leave." I says, "Look, you can't, you can't just put somebody out the room," because I knew he was going to pick on a wee Nepalese guy. Yeah. Who would have just went, um, and it wouldn't have been fair. And I says, "No, I'll go." So the next morning, he's came with this other boy, muscly boy, carrying his stuff, um, and when he came to come into the room, I stood up to pack my bag and fold my bed up. And he's like, oh, no, no, don't go. And I said, no, I'm gone. And when I'd done that, I turned around and the Greek guy was folding his bed. The Japanese guy was folding his bed. And there was an Iranian guy. So the four years have stood up yeah. to leave the room. And because of that happening, it was going to cost too much a hassle. So the Ashback's nose was put out of joint. He came back into the room and the other guy was sent away. Next, wow. next, it was so the the the, the shot. He wouldn't like that though. He absolutely hated it. The shot caller, I had challenged him. Um, I had won the challenge. Um, and then the next morning, you might as well a bitch slapped him, really, aren't you? Honestly, God, that that's the way I felt, and it gets <laughs> this, this gets better, honestly, right? So, bear in mind, this guy's and he, you know, he was a big boy, and he was. Um, so the next morning, I woke up. And he was packing his stuff, and he left his own room. He left, he left the cell to move in. And so I'm thinking, fucking, what have I done, though? Um, so I exercise that morning. I put my so exercise. You're wearing your flip flops. Yeah, but, but you put your boots on. But I, so I put my shoes on, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, if I can get his beard, no. Yeah. So that's what I'm in my head. I'm thinking, if I can just get his fucking beard, I'll bite his nose off or something. He's not going anywhere, is he? No, he's not going anywhere. If I can get his beard, so I'm out. And the yard's tiny, you know what I mean? I'm walking around the yard. Butterflies. I'm, I'm waiting and I'm coming. He didn't come out. I thought, wait, it must be the afternoon that's going to happen, right? So the afternoon, I'm back in the yard and I'm walking again and he didn't come out. And this happened for about two weeks. Wow. Two weeks he didn't come out of his room. And, and, and I swear on this is true. And then I would see him, he would be looking at his cell um, and he would see me and he would just, Moved back away for the bars. Might have seen his ass. Aye, and and what happened was, I would see him, the times that we would we would have to pass one another, and I would make to say hello to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he would he would just look away from me. Like, I'm thinking, what? Because he's a psychopath. You know what I mean? A, a total psychopath. Um, and then before you know it, th- there was a transfer, and I got transferred to this big jail, and the next time I saw Ashback. He'd been transferred to the jail, and in the bigger jail there was all the, the local politics. It was nothing to yeah. do with me. His enemies were in the jail. He got battered with a hammer and a screwdriver, uh. and he got shunted away to another wee, wee jail. So, you know, he, he never got a chance to do whatever he was planning to do yeah. with me. Um, so he was just biding his time. Yeah, he, he was definitely biding his time. I. He um, said he was clicked up with the Bombay Mafia. What is the Bombay Mafia? So the, there's the the Bombay Mafia. Are, you know, they they run all the extortion. They run all the drugs. They they they're massive. I think they're called the the it's either the B Company or D Company. David Abraham's the guy who, um, you know, if you Google any of this stuff, it's all because um, 
David Gregory Roberts was involved with it. Yeah, I remember you mentioning it. Are they ex-military? Um, no, I think it's just anybody who is prepared to kill for them, yeah. um, to to extort money for them, um, and to put it into the bigger pot. So it's, no, but it's actually men, not kids, because some um, people have kids doing it, don't they? Well, I, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure they probably do have as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't really know, but he was part of that as well, um, this Ashback Bengri. Um, and I never saw him again. Um, and I actually Googled him when I was back here in Scotland. I Googled him to find out what was happening to him. And, and the picture of him was lying there and he'd been stabbed to death in jail. And I thought, wow, oh, what a story. He'd, he'd, been, he'd been stabbed to death. And the, I'd done a wee limited edition in my book, um, just a pre-order, and I only made 50 copies of the, of the first thing. So the first people who pre-ordered the first 50 got some photographs in the book. So there's there's a picture of him with it and the Ashback story as well, man. And horrible, horrible individual. And, and you know, I, I don't... I don't hate anybody, I don't wish harm on anybody, but when I discovered he died and yeah, the manner he died, I thought, you know. Um, yeah. What so. was the craziest thing that happened to you during this incarceration experience, or that um, you saw? The, the craziest thing I saw? Um, to be honest, right, I, I went through 11 months in the jail, and it, it was all, it was, it was mere hilarious, it was comic, rather than than anything else, you know, I got myself into a couple of wee fights, um, obviously I was, I don't know what, what like the grub was, where you yeah. the food was, but I was sick for a year, um, so I lost all the weight, I was, I diarrhea every day for a year, I was sick every day for a year, um, but, it, it was not I've got, I've got a personality, and my personality, can I go, keep you down. It, it, it got me through it, you know what I mean, yeah. there was, there was a big English guy, um, and in my first book, I, I direct people to Google. I think the Google search is an amazing thing, you know. Yeah. So when I'm telling my stories in my first book, I, I say, Google this person, no, Google that. And there was a big English guy. Um, so I get moved to the bigger jail. I was there for a week, and then I met him in the jail, and he was from Manchester, and he had been sentenced to 15 years in his absence here. Um, oh, for a kid, right. for a kidnapping thing. Um, but while he was on bail, before the sentence, he managed to get away. And the, his, all his co-accused all got fourteen and fifteen years. He got fifteen years in his absence. But apparently, he got the ransom money and the jewels and never squared anybody up. Right. So he was travelling with a guy in India, and the guy died. Um. When the police looked into the guy's death, they found out he was on the run for Britain, and they arrested him, um, waiting on him, waiting on him being extradited um, back to back to Britain. And big, I'm talking a big six foot four guy who was of Punjabi descent, so he looked Indian, could speak um, Punjabi, um, 120 kilos of muscle. This big guy. Um, and he, he used to say to me, you know, how can I how can I get out of here? And I'd say, bide your time, you know, bide your time. And people outside could help you escape. No, you're absolutely no problem because you could disappear into India. You've just got to keep your mouth shut and watch, don't you? Yeah, so, See what's going on. A week into it, he's 
um, biting a guard, spitting on the governor, um, and in the end up they used to take him to court like he was a big bear, and they, they, they had this guy tied with ropes. Seeing the year that I was in prison, um, and appearing up and down to court every two weeks or going to the hospital, or I was never handcuffed once. No. Um, because they have to get a special judge's dispensation or whatever to, to handcuff you. Um, I saw people who I became quite close to. I had a Japanese friend and I watched him gradually going crazy. Um, he was in my cell. He was the most altruistic person I've met in my life. Would have done anything. Always had the cell all clean and, um, you know, would do your washing for you and, and, and I watched him gradually, his mental health deteriorated and, and until he eventually cracked within a small cell and he attacked two brothers and um, and then they just whisked him away. And I saw him when I, when I got released on bail when I was going through my trial. Um, he won his case, this Japanese boy. He was caught with a kilo of hash. He lay in jail for 15 months and was acquitted. Um and it breaks my heart to even think about it because he he was running away for himself and he travelled from India to Thailand and from Thailand to Bali carrying six kilo of hash got caught in Bali and got 18 years um, and I've asked, he, was, he was only out of jail about four months and again a couple of years later I googled him and um, he hung himself in Bali Oh man, hung yourself in Bali. You said you had a few fights. What were the fight stories? Um, one of the fight stories was related to the Ashback guy. Yeah. So we had an Italian guy, um, and he's my friend today. This Italian guy, Alessandro Milana, I called him. He was from Milan, and um, he didn't have very much. And you know, like it is, if you've got, you look after people, don't you? And yeah. um. But when Ashpack transferred his um, his anger and his all his stuff for the Greek guy, he put it on to the Italian guy. So the Italian guy was petrified, you know. He he had him petrified. And when I've stood up that morning, and Ashpack left the room, the Italian guy he kind of relaxed a bit. After two weeks, um, Ashpack was kind of shouting the Italian guy, and I've had to say to him, look. You're in our cell now. He's left. He's plotting something. Yeah. Um, you're either part of this we foreigners gang we called ourselves the G8. Yeah. <laughs> um, like we're the wee gang of eight here. You know what I mean? And we're all we were all foreigners. Um, we've got to stick together. You know this is. But he wants to isolate me, um, because I'm the guy who stood up to him. Yeah. I'll I'll speak to who I want. I says fine. You know, speak to who you who you like. But don't expect to smoke your dope. Don't expect to take your sleeping tablets. Don't expect to take your coffee or our biscuits or anything, you know what I mean? Speak to who you like. Why don't you even go and move in with them? So me and him ended up having having words. And, um, and I regret it to this day because he was sitting and I was standing up and he, and he said something to me and I just kicked him in the face um, and jumped on top of him and started pummeling into him. Um, and I had lost it, you know. I I I totally lost it. And there was a big Russian guy, and he's picked me up half him, and and I could see fear, 
and they tell you know, and I'm still trying to get them, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, what was your fucking granddad doing during the war and you know, <laughs> that stuff, you know, and ridiculous, you know. Um, and then about a week later, in the afternoon exercise, it was really, really hot, and everybody used to go out for an hour and maybe try and get a wee bit of shade, and he said he wasn't going for exercise, so I, I said, I'm not going for exercise. And um, it was the first chance I'd had me and him. Because we, you know, we, I slept on a space on the floor. He was there. Yeah. The Russian guy was there, you know what I mean? It was, we slept beside one another. And uh, two weeks or a week later, um, I've said to him, I'm sorry about that. And he was like, ah, no. And, um, and he says to me, I was planning something in the yard. <laughs> don't plan anything in the yard man because if you do anything in the yard it's going to end up a big mess I'm apologising you can either accept it or yeah. we can finish it here you know what I mean um, but he didn't you know he didn't it was a, I shouldn't have done it he didn't really have a fight in him he had loads of Italian cheek but um, and then I had another fight with another Indian boy in the bigger jail um, my mum had came to visit and she brought me new shoes and they were outside the cell. And this morning I went out and my shoes weren't there. Oh, wow. And I was like, ah. and, and so by this point I had a, a, a wee jail bitch who wasn't my actual bitch, but he was the yeah. wee guy who done my washing and, and all that stuff. And <laughs> um, I used to wake up in the morning, I'd be sitting at the end of my, my bed just waiting on his instructions for the day. Um, but he, he was like to me, um, Branson was the guy's name of, Branson's took your shoes. I was like, where's Branson? He's like, wait, court. I was like, is he? So Branson was a going. So I knew enough to know that I can just go and batter Branson, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he was going and I was a foreigner. So I went and spoke to the guy who was in, in charge of the shot collar in that jail. And I said, Branson's took my shoes and bought me court. I don't take tension, he'll be back. And I was like, no, I says, he, he, for a, he won't even be wearing socks and my good Lacoste training shoes, you know. I'm not having that. And, um, so I used to get this guy stoned all the time. Um, and he's like, I'll speak to him. And I says, no, I'm, the minute he walks in this hall, man, I'm going to break his nose. He's like, no, 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 you can't do that. I was like, well, what's going to happen with a day? He's like, oh, just don't happen too hard, no. <laughs> so that was, he gave me the okay. To, um, but again, I, I punched this guy a couple of times and I knew straight away when there was no punches coming back. But, <laughs> like, he can't fucking... Should have took your shoes, actually. Uh, no, I, and he was like, no, but... Um, so the shot caller, he wears your shoes. I was like, doesn't he wear them shoes? He wears the other ones that lie beside it. And, yeah. Because none of them were soaks, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, no, you're not wearing my shoes, man. Um so I, I didn't, you know, I saw people going crazy. The big, I started to tell you, the big guy, his name was A.J. Koshal. The name he went me in India was Danny Koshal. But he ended up saving up his um, antidepressants and his sleeping tablets and committing suicide. Oh, wow, um, yeah. Because he didn't want to come back here. Um, <sighs> you know, and I could see him getting crazier and crazier and, um, We're almost going to have to wrap up now. Can you tell us how you beat your case? Um, so, all the policemen in my case got arrested on drug-related corruption charges. 
<laughs> that always helps, doesn't it? So that's what happened. Yeah. Why couldn't have that happened for us? <laughs> it should have. So, right, what, what happened was... That was a prayer answered right there. Oh, the policeman. I, I'd been lying in jail for 11 months. There was a, a case with some Israelis and local politicians and all the drug squad um, all got arrested on drug-related corruption charges and I was given bail. Um, and I thought, this is brilliant, man. I've, I've been in there for a year. I'll be home pretty soon. Well, all his arrests from there onwards have been corrupt, wouldn't they? Yeah, aye. tainted. Tainted, so, yeah. Aye, but, but well, you would think that. Um, but the charges against them dated back 10 years, so which would have covered my, my case. Yeah. Um, I went to the consulate. They were like, no, 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 it's got nothing to do with you. My lawyer's like, you just need to be patient. Um, at the same time as they were going through a trial in the same court as me, we were all appearing and they were on the benches and they were going like that to me, don't worry, everything will be okay. Um, and it took me another three years of going through a trial in India, um, up and down to court. You think you'd be entitled to compensation for that? Aye, you know, absolutely nothing, you know. My mental health deteriorated, my addiction stuff got worse. I was still sending stuff back. I was still doing the stuff that got me arrested in the first place. Yeah. Um because there's no way of subsidising yourself there. You know, you can't work because you wouldn't be earning any money working. Um, if the policemen are only earning £70 a month wages. In India, how much is the dope? How much is say like an ounce of Rocky? Um, so it was, it, the dope was quite good. It was it was hand-rolled stuff um, straight for the plant. And I think at the time I had paid about 600 quid a kilo. Um, so it was like bush? No, 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 it was, it was like soft black. Soft black, I got you, got you, yeah. It was like soft black for the 80s, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Before they discovered how to put shit through it. Yeah. Um, so how did it feel to get released? Um, again, there was a big anti-climax, you know, I was up and down to court. Um, so nothing happens. Like, the witnesses were all done, and then two months later I was back up for the legal argument, and then there was another wee break, and then when I went up for the... When I went up for the verdict, um, I went up at 10 o'clock in the morning, I was told to come back in the afternoon. I went back at 2 and I was told to come back at 5. And when I went back at 5, there was only, there was one wee um, policeman in the court who I'd got to know over the four-year period. And he was like, well done. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He's like, case finished. <laughs> and then the clerk of the court came out called me into the judge's chambers so there was a the, the prosecutor was there I was there um, and the somebody from my lawyer's office and the, the judge spoke in Konkani the lawyers understudy stood up shook my hand and told me that was it my case was finished um, so if it's kicked out like that you're not deported and banned from the country no they, they then had three months to appeal against my case so I was I was acquitted in the 23rd of April um, and it was the June, May, June the 23rd of July before I was eventually given a, a one trip passport to leave the country I think I think people will be curious James as to know what you're doing with your life now then since then um, so I, I can uh, I drive a taxi um, for a living but I'm also in recovery so I do quite a lot of um, 12 step recovery stuff on myself and working with other other yeah. other addicts, um, I've done a couple of small things working with groups of young young guys, 
Um, so that's I'm going back to college in August to to study counselling. So you're better than yourself and you're paying it forward. Well, I no, I'm definitely moving forward, and and I would like to get some sort of employment. Um, you know, I've, I'm 54. I've not made any provision for my retirement, so I'll be working until I'm 70 odd. Um, so I, I would like to be doing something like that that I can be using all my experience. Um, you don't really think about retirement, though, Alex. No, no, you don't when you're out there. Never had a the fucking job in real life apart from working for my dad, really. Aye. So I'm not going to rest. <laughs> I mean, I don't even get money off the government. I don't even get a dollar or anything. No. So I, I, I don't know if you're allowed a pension if you don't get money. Imagine everyone's allowed a pension, like, aren't they? Aye, but I think it's all contribution based as well. So. Fuck it, yeah. yeah. So are you available for schools talks in Glasgow if any teachers or students are watching Absolutely. this? Absolutely. If, if anybody's watching this, I'm available for. Is there any other ways people can help you out there besides buying your book and supporting you? Available worldwide on Amazon. Two books. Links are in the description box below this video. But if you know the man locally, go and get it off him so he gets all the money. Yeah, go and, go and check him out in, in Glasgow and get pay cash. And um, he'll make slightly more than that through Amazon by doing that if you are up there. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people who've watched this video today? No, just uh, thanks for taking the time to watch it. Thank you two guys for, for having me on. It's been um, a pleasure. No, it's been great. It's a cracking experience. Um, it's good having positive experiences in my life today. Yeah. Um, all so the shit you've been through, man. Yeah, bloody hell. Thanks very much. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Take care, James. Yep.